Listen for the word of God this morning from Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning with verse 4, reading from the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for, for it, for the city, for its welfare will determine your welfare. The word of God. This is the week the senior class of La Sierra Academy graduates. They receive their diplomas. It's been a week of graduations, actually. First it was kindergarten, and then sixth grade dedication. The eighth grade graduated on Thursday night. And this weekend is for the senior class. On Sunday morning, they'll drive through the field over at the academy in alphabetical order, 15 minutes to jump in and jump, jump out and in and get their diploma and celebrate. We've seen many of these adapted graduation ceremonies all across Riverside County, all across the world, actually. We're celebrating so many graduates. But this weekend, it's our seniors from La Sierra Academy. Now, normally, they would be gathered here in the sanctuary this particular Sabbath morning. They would be in the front rows down here, 62 of them lining the front rows with cap and gown and the medals around their necks so heavy and the lays and the honors, 62 of them on a day we call baccalaureate. Listen to the end of the message because there is a message recorded for you from the senior class today. Baccalaureate. On Sabbath, we pause before we get to Sunday. We must go through Sabbath, actually, to get to Sunday. We pause for the God who made it all possible. So a story from Scripture this morning. Let me tell you a story of some teenagers who, love, who live in the suburbs of Babylon. They're in exile, what we call exile. That means they're far from home. They're sojourners, they're wanderers, they're pilgrims, they're deported people. And they're living with their families who are also living in exile. For 70 years they lived this way. 70 years, that's a super long time. 70, that maybe some of the grandmas are 70 years old. Some of the grandmas of the graduating class today. 70 years for unsettled souls who just want to go home. Daniel and his friends, they become resident aliens in Babylon. Now it's the king Nebuchadnezzar who has his eye on them. When Nebuchadnezzar smashed their city and took what he wanted, part of what he wanted was the next generation of youth. So he selected a few and took them with him to Babylon. Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. If you have a Bible, open it. Look it up on your phone. Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. Young men, the king wants, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Train them, the king says, train them in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king's looking for young men. You'll notice that the young women are not named. That doesn't mean they're not there. It simply means they're not named and we can't see them, but they're in the story. So the king selects these young men. He takes the cream of the crop. Babylon and Jerusalem are worlds apart. First of all, Babylon and Jerusalem, worlds apart. Established by different gods, established by different religions, established by different cultures. One of the first things the king does is change their names. 
They all, Daniel and his friends, they all have Hebrew names representing their God from home. And the king changes their names and gives them names from Babylon, representing Babylonian gods. The idea is for Daniel and his friends to begin to acclimate, to begin to settle, to begin to get comfortable. A new name by the Babylonian god, that's a sign of new ownership. The king never asks them to give up their old identity. We should be clear to name that. The king never asks them to give up their own, their prior religion or their prior identity. He simply makes it easy for them to settle. Maybe if you make life comfortable enough, they'll learn the new language, they'll learn to eat the new food, they'll learn the new culture, they'll learn the new music, and before you know it, they'll get not only familiar, well, familiar but comfortable. If they identify Babylon as home, then maybe these young students are much less likely to revolt. So that is the king's plan. Daniel and his three friends in Babylon, verse 8, Daniel 1, verse 8, Daniel's determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat the unacceptable foods. Daniel determines ahead of time, the Bible says. He made a plan. If you read the King James Version, that translation says that Daniel purposed in his heart. He decided ahead of time. Now, this is the first of six stories in the first part of Daniel, a group of teenagers. I'm pretty certain that students, you've heard these stories, right? It's either Mr. V in chapel, maybe um, it's Mrs. Parade in Bible class, maybe Mrs. Rodriguez. For sure, Mrs. Rodriguez, because this is 11th grade Bible curriculum, the book of Daniel, if I'm remembering correctly. So you maybe have heard these stories. Let me finish the first one only. Daniel and his friends decide they're not going to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. They decide instead that they're going to take the diet of the poor. They will eat what the poor people eat, vegetables and water. Vegetables and water only. Why? Why would they do this? Is that because this is what they eat back home? No. Is it because they don't want to eat meat that's been offered to idols in Babylon? No. It's not that either. It's that to eat the food from the king's table is to identify with the king and to enter into a relationship with the king. It's to to take the king's way as their way, the king's authority as their authority. Eating habits, they mattered. It's one of the ways you could distinguish who people were in exile. So these friends take their entire body and they put it under God's authority as an entire nation watches. Can these guys survive on bread and vegetables? Now, to be very clear, this is not a story about the vegetarian life. Somebody's saying amen. This is not a story about kind of death by Brussels sprouts and asparagus and all the things. It's not that. It's not a story uh, um, uh, about plant-based eating, even even though we know everything we know today about that and carbon footprint and, and how to take good care of our bodies. This is not a story about that. The point is that when these four young growing men decide they'll eat the diet of the poor, instead of becoming sick and thin and inferior, something else happens. God takes that one small commitment they make and God decides to honor it with unexpected results. God does for them what the king promised the king would do for them. The king thought he would make these four guys great. It turns out that God took that small commitment and honored it. Verse 19 of Daniel 1. So the king talked with them, Daniel and his three friends. No one impressed him as much as Daniel and the three others. So they entered the royal service 
Wherever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. There will be five more stories with these teenagers in the book of Daniel. Chapters 1 to 6 tell us uh, the ultimate question in all of the stories will be in this temporary place of exile, in this Babylon home, who will we allow to be our authority? Let me say a little more. For those of us who've lived longer with the Bible, sometimes we read the book of Daniel in fragmented ways. We take those first six chapters, all the stories, all the adventure, Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel at the king's table, and the writing on the wall. Those are stories that happen to Daniel and his friends. And the rest of the book, the visions, and the wars, and the beasts, and the prophecies are somehow something that will happen to you and me at the end of time. But we have to read the book of Daniel together. It turns out that the faithful living at the first part of the book prepares people for whatever lies ahead, whatever is coming up ahead. Which power will we allow to rule us in Babylon? It's the question of the day. Turns out that God is not searching for influential people God can make faithful. God is searching for faithful people God will make influential. This is what happens to Daniel and his friends. They become influential leaders. They become used in exile by the king and the king's people because they were willing to say, this is where I stand. This is, I've committed to the God of the universe. I know which power rules me. God isn't looking for influential people. God's looking for faithful people. The seniors, to the seniors today, I, I, see, I thought on this particular weekend, not only did I think we would be gathered here, but I thought I would spend time telling you about when I was a senior in high school. Maybe I would tell you about the time I tried to climb the water tower, right? The one grand, huge um, prohibition on campus and my adventure trying to climb that water tower. I thought I would tell you of my teenage rebellion. Oh, yeah, my big teenage rebellion, sneaking off campus with a friend downtown to a drive-in where we would order hamburgers, hamburgers. After about three adventures off campus, I finally told my roommate, I I'm, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to be a vegetarian the rest of my life. I thought I would be telling you, senior class, about the time, like my senior graduation weekend, when I sat at the piano to play a solo, and I picked a song too technically difficult for my fingers, and I faked my way all the way through, right? Seniors, families, teachers, church community, anybody listening today, I thought... I would tell some of those stories from high school. But then last week happened, and this week happened. And in the words of a third-year medical student from Loma Linda University, when they gathered on their campus this prior Wednesday in their rally, she said, quote, COVID-19 terrified the whole world. But racial injustice and violence, it's, a, it's far bigger than any pandemic. 2020 is a year no one forgets. So this week, a videotaped murder has provoked a nation, and we've had now already a funeral of a beloved husband, father, son, brother, George Floyd. We've had charges against offending officers. We've had, we've had a week of protests and rally cries all around the nation. 
it turns out that a few hours of sensitivity training, implicit bias training, it will not fix our woes. We live in a world of contrived categories, and this week it's being named. It turns out we have trained ourselves, we've socialized ourselves, we've made policies and practices. For some reason, we've had a need to make black-skinned people feel inferior. My people, white-skinned people. James Baldwin says, when we answer that question, when we figure out why we needed to make black-skinned people feel inferior, we'll have something to talk about. It's called systemic racism. And these are now the stories that we need to hear. We've built something over the centuries that we must now dismantle. We've built racism. Pervasive, prolonged, persistent patterns of evil. We built that. I didn't know this as a kid. I didn't know that when we traveled through Skid Row to get to the spaghetti factory in downtown Portland that we were passing through a neighborhood that was 75% black faces. I didn't know that was because there were decisions made about how to build a city and who would get loans granted and who, could be, who would be disallowed the other side of the river. I didn't know. Thomas Carlyle, philosopher, says, no lie can live forever. Maybe this week we stepped on the boundary of forever. Maybe this week... Listen how the Bible has prepared us for the boundary of forever. Listen how the story from exile, where we think our only option is to revolt or to cave in. Listen to how what happens to Daniel and his friends prepares us for this moment. Jeremiah chapter 29, while Daniel and his friends and family are in Babylon, this letter arrives from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a word for the people, the prisoners, the exiles. He says this, Jeremiah 29, beginning with verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and bury and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you'll have many grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord for that city, for its welfare. Pray for the peace. That's another way of translating the passage. Pray for the peace of the city, for it will determine your own peace. Plant and dig and marry and have children, which is to say, imagine your future here. You'll be here a lifetime, 70 years. So work for the peace of Babylon because it's reciprocal. When Babylon's at peace, you'll be at peace. This is revolutionary. You don't want us to kill Babylon? You want us to plant in this filthy dirt? You want us to plant a garden from here? You want us to do what? Until the earth is made new, we live here in exile. And so it is. God doesn't need influential people. He can make faithful. God needs faithful people to become influencers for God's influence in Babylon. Loyalty to God, subversion to Babylonian powers. This is what happens in Babylon. Loyalty to God, subversion to Babylonian powers. Let me say more about that. One of the reasons families send their students to La Sierra Academy, one of the reasons we choose Christian education is because we want our children to know that this world is not our home. As the song says, we're waiting for a heavenly home. 
We want our children to know, don't get too attached. Don't settle and get comfortable, right? Don't fall in love with the culture and the language and the movies. Please don't love the music, we tell our kids. And then we surround our children with people who have the same idea of this large story and this large hope. We should be restless here because we're heaven-bound. And then comes this counsel from the prophet Jeremiah. The people in exile remind us of the tension, right? This world is not our final home, and yet this world is our home. It's not our final home, and it's the world we've got. It's the world God so loves. It's the world full of people created with the divine imprint. So we have duties here. We have public duties here. We have civic duties here. The prophet Jeremiah says, work for the peace of the city. Work for the well-being of the city. Work for the wellness and the wholeness of the city and the people who call it home. Daniel and his friends, they live with leaders who make two sets of rules, one for themselves and one for all of the people. Jeremiah says, work to flatten those rules. Jeremiah says, resist any voice that tells you you are warriors. You're not warriors, you're siblings. Resist any idea that says some of you are less than others. No. Loyalty to God and subversion to Babylonian powers. This is what it will look like. It turns out that the Bible is preparing us. Bible's preparing us for 2020. So senior class, you've learned some things. And you've learned a lot at the academy that prepares you for this life. Can you go all the way back to elementary school, maybe to some of the earliest grades? Let me read to you, remind you of some of your classroom rules when you were in elementary school, right? You didn't have Mrs. Baroy as your teacher, but if you go down to the fifth grade classroom this week, you'll see she has two classroom rules. The first one is the golden rule that comes from Matthew 7. Do to others what you want them to do to you and be flexible. Students be flexible, teacher be flexible. Or you can wander over to the third grade room, Mrs. Islis, and she's got a list of six rules. The first one really says a lot. Respect God, respect others, respect yourself, respect your school. I love uh, rule number six. Make your dear teacher happy. Many of you had Mrs. Peters for fifth grade, senior class. Do you remember Mrs. Peters' fifth grade rules? Because they haven't changed in a lot of years. Show respect. Stay on task, share and cooperate, use a classroom voice, and clean up, would you? Would you clean up? Some of you had Mrs. Vaughn in kindergarten. I know because she's been here that long. Mrs. Mrs. Vaughn, who's uh, got a list with Pete the Cat, her classroom rules read like this. Believe in yourself. Follow directions. Raise your hand. Keep your hands and your feet to yourself. Some of us are still working on that one. Say please and thank you. Listen when someone's speaking, share, take turns, make smart choices, help clean up, treat each other with respect, be groovy. And Mrs. Beach, I know many of you had Mrs. Beach as your first grade teacher. Her rules haven't changed either. Respect God, respect others, respect the property, respect yourself. It turns out your teachers at the academy have set you up well. What you've learned at school, your experiences there, your own experiences in life, experiences with your mentor and your family, they're good and solid and they will only take us so far because it is, it is ultimately loyalty to God that's the foundation of all of this. Loyalty to God.
Sometimes we can stand and watch the world go by as if it's happening all around us, but it's not happening to us. Have you felt that way these last weeks? Have you felt that way senior class this entire semester as you've been home? We look at the world and see what's happening out there, and it's not really happening with us. It's happening out there. We're observing it. But the book of Jeremiah reminds us today, we are not in the world. We are the world. We're not in the story. We are the story. We're not in a racist America. We are a racist America. There's no time then right now for short-lived kind of social laments. This is no time for passing passions or just momentary media blitz. This is no time for transient allies. It's going to take a lot more than hashtag Blackout Tuesday. This is the time we all settle in. Look at this picture from a rally this week across the nation because it looks like almost all rallies across the nation this week. It certainly resembles downtown Riverside early in the week with five or 6,000 people crammed in and a few of us trying to physically distance ourselves. When we were down there on Monday night, I was confronted with so many things, things I'm still processing. One reality is this. It certainly looks like the next generation is positioned to heal the hurts the prior generations caused. It certainly looks like it by looking at these pictures that the young generation is positioned to heal. So seniors of La Sierra Academy and the rest of us who happen to be eavesdropping this morning, don't lose your focus now. Life is blurry. It's unusually blurry. You have experience with culturally blurry moments. Aren't you the babies of 9-11? Another culturally blurry moment. They're calling this blurry moment something like an inflection point. There's so much that happens that there's a turning point now where we ought to expect dramatic change. Don't lose focus now. Now is the time to adjust our focus. So for me, as I've been saying for a few weeks, don't consult your, your favorite social media influencer. Don't consult TED Talks. Don't consult a teacher or a pastor or a denomination. Don't consult a pop culture. This is the moment to consult Jesus. Jesus who comes and lives hundreds of years after Daniel and his friends in Babylon. Jesus who shows us what it looks like, where, the pe- where to go, and how to love big and be well up alongside the people. You are the class that has experience with culturally fuzzy moments. Adjust the lens. There's a role for each of you, class of 2012. You are not in the story. You are the story. You're not in God's story. You are God's story. We need every bit of you. Every bit. Every bit of skill. Every bit of talent. Every bit of imagination. We need every bit of drive, every bit of passion, every bit of hope. It turns out you seem to be positioned to heal the hurt prior generations caused. It was years ago on the elementary school side of La Sierra Academy. So many years ago, it might not even involve your class. There was a tiny one in one of the young grades of elementary school who noticed He noticed not everyone has a place to sit at lunch. And he noticed not everyone has a best friend. 
And he noticed not everyone is spoken to kindly. And he developed this plan and went home and told his parent, at recess, I'm just going to plant myself. And I'm going to give hugs to the people. And at lunch, I'm going to go to the tables and I'm going to sit with the kids who have no one to sit there. And I'm going to see the kids who have no friends and I'm going to become their friend. And I'm going to listen to the kids who are called names and I'm going to make sure they hear kind words from me. His instinct is right. That comes from God, by the way. It turns out you have these instincts, class of 2020. They come from God. Don't lose focus now. Adjust the lens. Plant and dig and build and marry. Create your relationships and work for the peace of the city. Work for the peace of the city because it will determine the peace of your own heart and soul. And remember, the God who placed us here will absolutely one day lead us home. Amen and amen.